Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. So is it a happy Friday down at the Vancouver port? Is, is this thing so. settled now, or no, what's so happening? There's a lot of confusion, because um, neither side is really talking here. So the situation is the federal mediator has recommended terms of settlement. Yeah. They were accepted by the employer, and they were accepted by the union bargaining unit. Right. Then the union, what they call their leadership caucus, which is yeah. a broader committee, rejected it. Right. And that's why picket lines went back up. Right. Then they were ruled to be illegal because they didn't give 72-hour strike notice. So right. Then they issued 72-hour hour strike notice. Then they rescinded the 72-hour strike notice. Now, late yesterday afternoon, the union posted on its website that the caucus today will vote on whether or not to send the terms of settlement to the membership for a vote. Right. I, my interpretation of that is they were feeling the heat when they rejected the the settlement and put the picket line up when I think the members, a number of members said, wait a minute, what, don't we get a say in this thing? Yeah. So again, a refresher, the settlement proposed by the mediator is a compounded 19.2% wage hike yeah. over four years, a $3,000 on average signing bonus for full-time employees, you know, a little less if you're part-time, a little more if you're uh, in, in some situations. It would raise, according to the employer, the median wage, which is there's as many people earning below this number as are earning above this number, of $162,000 a year. Holy smokes. <laughs> also, <laughs> some eight, good bread, man. Well, if you're working full-time, there's, many, there's more than 7,000 people in this bargaining unit. Many of them work part-time. Yeah. Like they probably have a higher percentage part-time workers than most bargaining units. Also, an, more than 18% increase to the one-time uh, retirement payout, which goes from about 80 plus something thousand dollars to $96,000, uh, $96,250. And unclear what the terms were going to be for the automation problem. That uh, One big reason that the Leadership Caucus rejected this, because I think the language did not, in their view, go far enough to protect jobs from being automated. And then you've got the jurisdictional uh, question of who does maintenance work. There's okay. a huge amount of maintenance work done at the ports, and the union wants a bigger slice of that pie. Okay. It's typically kind of un unusual to see a bargaining committee recommend a deal, get a tentative deal, and then it's and then it, it somehow falls apart and it's rejected. It does happen sometimes, right? Very unusual, though. You're right. And yeah. it usually falls apart when the membership rejects it. Well, right. So my what I'm wondering is, what does the what do rank and file dock workers and port workers think about this deal? Like, do you think they want to go back to work? Like, if they if they put this deal to a general ratification vote by all the members, I, I imagine it would it would pass. I would think it would pass because yeah. there's about half that bargaining unit is making, you know, more than one hundred thirty six thousand dollars a well, year right yeah. now. So I think they would want to continue earning that type of wage, particularly when you tack on a close to twenty percent wage hike over four years. I mean that's. That's pretty good bread for that side of the bargaining unit. On the other hand, the other side of the bargaining unit, there's many part-time workers. And then you throw in the fact, you know, there are, automation does mean lost jobs. There's no question. So if you're performing some of these tasks and you are staring the potential loss of your livelihood because of automation, you're probably going to vote no.
Yeah, when they're making this kind of money, I mean, I think most people would hear these these type of dollar figures and say, why are these guys even on strike? And and do I do I even support them for shutting these ports down and costing the economy hundreds of millions of dollars? Nothing, I don't know, there's, there's not a lot of sympathy. No, and I think that's another reason why they're holding this vote today to, yeah. to send it to the membership. But nothing hurts the economy quite like a port strike oh, because brutal. it affects all sectors. It's not just the forestry sector going on strike or the mining sector or the high-tech sector or the, or the manufacturing sector. It's everyone. Everyone yeah. is affected by a port strike you and i have talked about before 90 percent of everything everything you use on a daily basis comes through a container ship yeah. and that's what's being held up right now at the port but now keep in mind the ports are open they're well, let's, let's listen to premier david eby on that point here he's asked about the situation yesterday the on again off again strike here's what he had to say there's really no reason uh for the port not to be operating given how close uh, uh, both sides are. Uh, we need a deal, not just for the port workers and for fairness to them, but for all British Columbians and, frankly, all Canadians. There are so many other provinces that are dependent on our port operating as well. Okay, well, the ports are operating, are operating. right? Yeah. Uh, I assume they're at full capacity. I mean, the backlog uh, is substantial. Yeah. Uh, it's going to take months to clear that backlog. You know, there are, I think, by the end of this month, I'm about 37 more ships headed uh, set to dock in the port of Vancouver, quite apart from what's already sitting out there in the harbor. I think there were 17 ships waiting to unload a few days ago. The numbers keep going up and up every single day. So it's a huge backlog, and it's just a huge daily flow of goods. Yeah. I mean, it's going to, we talked to um, John Corey, who's the head of the Freight Managers Association yeah. yesterday. He's, it says it could be Christmas oh. before everything's back to normal. Wow. Just yeah. because it creates such a bottleneck after you have it's this such disruption. a busy yeah. port, it's this huge amount of containers come through every single day, and so when you got thirteen days or fourteen days of strike, um, it it just magnifies the problem, and it, it just will take a long time to get to back to normalcy. Okay, aftermath of the Surrey police decision, and I thought this was really interesting last night on the Global News Hour. This is Ralph Kaiser's, who's the head of the police officers union in Vancouver. Okay, so the Vancouver Police Department union, and he's pointing out, okay, now that they have forced through this new Surrey police service, what kind of impact could that have? on other police departments. Here's what you had to say and I'll get your thoughts. I do know that a number of members have been holding off with making a decision around going to Surrey uh, because of the uncertainty of what was going to happen in Surrey. So I think we're all here at the VPD kind of sitting back wondering now what's going to happen and whether or not there there is some form of exodus of members to the Surrey Police Service. Your yeah, thoughts? no, it was very interesting. Was a good, great story by Catherine Urquhart last night. Um, led the story with a young constable yeah. who left New Westminster police to go to Vancouver police. And then there's zero West Van members have gone, West Van police members have gone to, to Surrey. Uh, one Delta member, but Jim Chow, the chief of uh, Vancouver uh, police said 40 members of VPD have gone to Surrey police, which is not an insignificant. Number. Well, a lot of Vancouver police officers live in Surrey. Yep. You, and, know, and because so, you can't afford to live in Vancouver. I think you're going to see basically a free agency war yeah. where you've got different police forces competing with each other. It's not just going to be Surrey. I mean, Surrey's the big one because it is going to be the biggest municipal force and it's got the biggest numbers. But you're going to see literally essentially a bidding war between all these police departments, municipal police departments. You know, come come play with us. We pay more. We've got better benefits. Uh, so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of movement of potentially of police officers around the region because Surrey now is back in the game. It's been suspended. Right. Remember, they were in a two-year transition. They went from zero 
to more than 350 officers. Yeah. And, and they were getting officers from other, some from Surrey RCMP. And that maybe that's where a big uh, number will occur now because Surrey RCMP is basically told you're out um, sure. over time. It's going to take, according to um, Norm Lipinski, the chief of the Surrey Police, it'll take three years for Surrey Police Services to become the 100%. Uh, in, but he thinks it'll be 10 months uh, by the time Surrey Police now will overtake Surrey RCMP. And those officers are going to come from other jurisdictions. Okay, let's end on a, on a more upbeat note here. Now, you worked for many summers Ten. at the PNE. Yes. Regular listeners will know that. You were like the one of the main, you were a fixture on the Midway. Yes. Right? What was your job down there again? Uh, I started out as fool the guesser, guess people's ages and weights when I was 14 years old. You had to guess within one year or one pound. That old con game. Yeah, yes, old, I remember that. that. Then I had the I had the ring toss. I had a, a spin, but then I moved into gambling games, the old-fashioned gambling pre-casino, yeah. which was the um, P-Wheel. Yeah. The uh, flasher game, which was the two orange balls you throw in a hopper, and it was basically a dice game, right? I did that one for several years. But uh, part of the routine working on the Midway, my daily thing was take the Sky Glider up to the food building. Yeah. Remember the old food building? Sure. Uh, I usually have the ribs up there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it was. Yeah. Uh, and then before you got to the food building, it was basically hot dogs um, and such. On your way there. But now I'm looking at the tasty treats. Rocky Point ice cream, Fusion Icy, Tin Lizzy, Cotton Candy, Maine and Westline, Funnel Cakes, Lemon Heaven Lemonade, Slush Zone, <laughs> Sin City Donuts. I think those were there when I was there. Uh, Canadian Kettle Corn Extreme, Steve, Steve-O's Sweets and Treats, West Family Fudge, The Little Donut Bakery, Summerland Soft. Oh, you got to have the little donuts. Gregory, Mr. Pretzel, Lickety Drippity. I don't know what that is. Kona Ice, Smoothie Shop. Uh, so, yeah, they released their 50 different uh, treats today for, yes. the, for the fair. This is the newly released food lineup for the PNE. So they have 50 different food providers there, and it's kind of mouth-watering to sort of Man, read down I, this I've list. I've eaten a lot of this stuff. When what, I, was I your, what was your favorite back in the day? The Hot Fudge Sunday. Okay. Down by the uh, Demolition Derby. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Ribs. Up, yeah. uh, up in the food building, which I, I just had all the time. And then I uh, just had friends who worked in the little... Um, Hamburger shop, and I grab a hot dog. Uh, a good old fashioned hot dog. Hot dog oh, okay, what about the mini donuts? Like every, yep. I, I find the mini donuts are, eh, you know. Well, yeah. over time, I stopped having the sugared mini donuts, and I just yeah. have the plain mini donuts without sugar. Okay, because you're good. watching your health and your waist, well, waistline. I, I wasn't watching my health when I was 16 <laughs> years old. No, I wasn't watching the waistline when I was 17. <laughs> I was kind of skinny anyway. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I My favorite is, I love the barbecue pit. You know, you go up there with the yeah. big barbecue area there. Man, oh, man, you get some of those yeah, ribs. Yeah, Buckeye root beer on a yeah. hot day. That was my uh, right. go-to drink. Baldry's beat. Keith Baldry is my guest. We're talking about some of his Midway memories when he worked on the Midway at the PNE for all those years. The food list for this year's PNE just released. Let me know what your favorite food has been at the PNE over the years, okay? Star 9898 on your cell. I got open lines right now. 604 280 Jim in Surrey. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Good morning, gentlemen. Bit of a hot dog fan myself, Keith. That's nothing wrong no. with that. Anyhow, sure. anyhow. I got two questions for you guys. We got a really fancy, expensive helicopter that flies around all the time in the lower mainland with two, two expensive RCMP guys in there, too. 
How's that going to work into this mix if we if we flatten out the RCMP? That's not a cheap unit. And also, last night on the Jazz Joe Hall say, show, they were saying that the $150 million series getting is about 20% of the real cost. So that leaves about $600 million that the Surrey taxpayers are going to have to come up with. If that's the case, man, Surrey's going to get flattened with tax increases. Anyhow, your comments. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of numbers flying around, and this remains an open question, what that tax increase is going to be. I mean, Brenda Locke has changed the numbers several times. It was 19%, I think, at one point. It was 11%. Um, so we'll see what that number is. I don't think anyone's really got a handle exactly on what those costs are going to be. As for the helicopter, I have no idea. I mean, that's that's an interesting question. I'm not sure how the costs are paid for for that helicopter or what share Surrey was paying. I can tell you um, we've got a helicopter Global, it's expensive to have helicopters. They they cost a lot of money to fly around, no question. Yeah, well, I'm just looking online. The, the BC RCMP does have an air services unit there that has uh, a helicopter. I don't know I'm sure if they have more than one helicopter. So, you know, yeah, they, they've got a helicopter, okay? So but let, let me ask you about the um, uh, the other the other situation with uh, the, the cost of the Surrey Police transition here now. Because Brenda Locke, the Surrey Mayor, said this week that it will cost next year a 10% tax increase just for the police transition. Mm-hmm. So all the other costs associated with this, with the city of keeping the sewers unplugged and, you know, keeping the roads in order and the parks clean and stuff, that will be on top of that. So oh, are, no are, they, are they potentially looking at huge tax hikes? Oh, I think potentially, for sure. I mean, uh, it's interesting. Brad West, regular... Boko Mayor, regular guest yes. on the show, he's famous for keeping his taxes down very low. Yeah, he has an RCMP uh, uh, attachment attachment in there. But as he famously says, we're not the United Nations. They don't do a lot of ex- extra stuff that's not just core city uh, uh, services. And it'll be interesting, Surrey. I think you know the pressure is going to be on Brendan Locke and the council to show the work. How do you arrive at these tax increases? What? How much of this is because of sewers? How much is it because of road repair, and how much of it is because of police? Because you know she's going to want to blame any tax hikes on Farnworth oh, sure. and the provincial government. But, you know, residents usually look at City Hall when it comes to ta- property tax increases. Yep. The blame doesn't usually go beyond that. Thomas in Maple Ridge. Hi, Thomas. Go ahead. Hello, Mike. Hello, Keith. Um, I just want to make a comment on the port strike. Um I was recently working in North Vancouver and I would walk by the picketers. And so I asked them what the situation was and it's not the money. It's the automation of their jobs. They're all Mm going to lose those jobs. That's, that's why they're still staying out. Yeah. So exactly. So the automation is a big issue in not just Vancouver ports, ports around the world, Um, Long Beach, California, huge port, yeah, huge automation. Rotterdam, one of the biggest ports in the world. Huge automation. The number of the, the human jobs are disappearing in ports around the world. Well, welcome to the club, isn't it? I mean, well, how many other jobs have disappeared? You and, I, you and I both come from newspapers. Yeah. And remember the pressmen? Sure. Well, well, they don't exist anymore yeah. to, the, to a large degree. Everything's done through computers. So yeah. uh, technological change is a reality in so many industries. Um, but I don't blame someone for trying to fight to hang on to their livelihood. And and the caller's right. I mean, it's not just about wages for many of that. You know, 7,400 people in the bargaining unit, half of them probably are looking at, at down the road at the job disappearing. 